Hello, it's us. I'm Christina. I'm Emily. And this is Are They Drunk in There? It's all drunk in there. <laughs> Baby, what are you drinking tonight? Tonight I have a Brunello. It's a wine made in Italy and it is very good with my cheeseburger. I got a blue cheeseburger to pair with it today and some Grillo's pickles, which I have to say are the best pickles I've ever had. Hmm, why are they the best pickles you've ever had? They're crunchy and garlicky and I like the crispiest pickles ever. Hmm. Well, That's where talk- I got them. Oh, could it be your favorite vineyard slash store slash butcher slash bakery? It could be that. Is it Costco? Oh my gosh, you read my mind. Wow, wow. I bet you everybody knew. What about you? I am drinking Los Hermanos Manzanos. Yeah, sorry if I butchered that. I tried. It's a 2018 60% Viura, Viura, 40% Chardonnay. Also, I made some uh, soda bread, which brings us to what is our episode today? Oh, yeah. So today we're going to cover bread. Specifically non-sweet, but of course you always kind of can venture into the sweet area when you talk non-sweet bread. The typical ingredients for bread basics are flour, yeast, salt, and some sort of moisture. Yeah, and so the big building block of bread is, of course, that flour ingredient. So when I think of flour, I always go with my favorite type of flour, which is all-purpose. And I know, Emily, you probably have some all-purpose flour in your limited pantry as well. There are several different types of flour that can give you different results when you're baking products. So the key types of flour are bread flour, which has the high, higher protein, um, protein being that those gluten ingredients, um, all-purpose flour, which is about 10 to 12 versus like the 12 to 13 range that you can find with bread flour, pastry flour, cake flour. And of course, when we're talking about bread, I always want to go into all the whole wheat flours. Of course, when you're talking about bread, yeast breads, you always want to go with bread flour um, because it gives you that extra protein to build that extra structure. Um, Best case would be if the recipe calls for a specific type of flour, always start with that. But You can make a lot of really good breads with all-purpose flour um, and then substituting wheat flour. I've heard people talk about gluten. I've heard them talk about protein and like just yeast and what the yeast does. Like how does that, what are those pieces of bread making from a science perspective? Yeah, so flour is largely... The big ingredient is that protein that comes from it. So when you're using wheat flours, not necessarily whole wheat flours, but wheat flours, which are your typical all-purpose and bread flour that you buy at the store, um, there's two main proteins in there. So those are the glutenin and the gallatin. When they get wet, they combine together to form that gluten structure that we kind of talked about earlier. So uh, the flour mixes with the water and it 
forms that elastic dough that you start to knead through. Are you telling me that bread has protein in it? Yes, I am. The- what? <laughs> yeah. So again, this is typically just those uh, wheat flours that mm. we find those glutens in, uh, and that can be, like I mentioned, barley, rye, and of course wheat. So you do find that in those types of flours. I did not know that gluten was protein. I just thought it was this magical thing that happened in bread. <laughs> yeah, so people can't break down the gluten. It's because they can't break down that protein. So you also asked about yeast. So the yeast provides the leavening agent. It um, has enzymes that break down different parts of the flour. Um, it provides the gas, which, of course, I do have to tell you a <laughs> side note story about that. So <laughs> When I was in, I want to say seventh grade, I had this science teacher and um, we were talking about fermentation and she was, she pointed to several people in the class and was like, do you like the smell of baking bread? Do you like the smell of baking bread? And uh, of course, half the kids said yes. Uh, Some kids didn't answer because you always got those in the class too, but she turns around and she's like, you like the smell of farts, yeast farts. And I can't <laughs> tell you all the kids that answered turn bright red. And I, you just think about like Aww. in middle school when um, when you accuse somebody of something gross and it's just the worst. But I just anytime I smell bread in the oven, I'm always like, mm, yeast farts. <laughs> But seriously, though, like the yeast gives off that CO2. It does form some alcohol, too, just like you would in beer and wine. Hey, that totally makes sense because when you fart in the pool, not that I've ever done that, but it causes bubbles. So it's like the yeast farting in the batter. What is it? (laughs) No, I guess it's dough, right? It's not really batter. But anyway, yeah, no, I mean... I don't know. For me, I'm like, it's just a bunch of stuff mixed together. So it could be a dough, could be a batter. But I think the springiness makes it a dough. The fact that you Mm. can like mold it into something makes it a dough. And then a batter kind of just pours. I don't know. So I would say um, the yeast and the flour are like very major components. And then you also have your moisture and all that other kind of fun stuff that we can talk about a little bit more. So (laughs) how do the different flour types affect the gluten amount found in bread. The higher the gluten content, the more elastic the dough is going to be, right? So it will provide enough structure to hold the amount of air that you get in the process of the fermentation or the proofing of your bread. When you're making breads that are aerated, kind of like your crusty loaves and those types of things, crusty. It's really great to have a bread that has or a flour that has a good amount of gluten because it can help maintain that structure and hold that gas, for lack of a better word here, um, and allow the bread to rise and basically make that delicious crusty loaf you like. Sorry, everyone, but Christina and I have always loved fart jokes. We always (laughs) have and always will. Yeah. So one of my favorites being I farted and my house blew up. Long oh, story. man, wait, are you going to tell thing. that joke? Please tell that joke. You just tell it really fast. 
<laughs> I gotta practice, maybe for another game. Uh, that's definitely a truth. We do. We love yes. good farts. Fart so sorry joke. about. territory yeah sorry about that guys okay yeah <laughs> you said in your list of flowers that pastry flower was one of them so i was definitely like curious about this because to me croissants are a bread but then they're also a pastry are all pastries bread hmm i i think you'd have to ask an expert about that but in my mind they're still fluffy and cr- for me anything that's just like flour based can be like a bread because you can have your banana breads which are completely different than a yeasted bread so I'm like well if I'm gonna put butter and jam on it it's kind of like a bread right I know it's a pastry but yeah but pastry flour is kind of a mix like right in between on the protein level of the all-purpose and the cake flour I I see where you're going with that too like anything that's made with like the ingredients that we listed, right? Flour, yeast, salt, any kind of moisture, right? Your water, your milk um, would make sense. We just try and bring you some info, but we all For know I'm home cooked. I want to know more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what about uh, wheat flour? So I know a lot of people want to be healthy and they think, okay, well, I want to add some more vitamins. I want to add the whole of the whole wheat flour to my recipe, but and somebody down the street around the corner told me it was way healthier. And so now I'm on the bandwagon. <laughs> Whole wheat flour has, in addition to the ingredient that you find in regular, like all, all purpose flour or bleached, unbleached, who cares? It also has the germ and the bran of the seed. So it gives it a little bit more fiber. But because of that, it absorbs more water and needs more water. So when you do add it to your recipe in place of an all-purpose flour, uh, just make sure you add a little bit more water. And then, of course, with it being high in fiber, it needs a little bit more time to sit to allow that moisture to absorb. Just be cautious of when you add that. Of course, I'm all in favor of adding a whole wheat because it adds more flavor like those nutty flavors you get from the whole wheat flour which I completely love yeah I love those too um my favorite pizza dough recipe that um I have used time and time again especially with quarantine it's from the New York Times that's pretty much the only kind of bread recipe that I've experimented with I will say that there's definitely kind of like that nutty, heartier like flavor that comes with the whole wheat flour. Um, but a lot of the time I'll replace only half of the um, all-purpose flour with whole wheat flour. And then I'll like do the, re- the other half regular all-purpose flour and tastes great. So you're just saying if the recipe called for one cup of all-purpose flour, you would use half cup of all-purpose, half cup of whole wheat. Yeah, my suggestion would be for anyone who's kind of like experimenting with different types of flour, try and make the recipe as close to the recipe as you can the first time, because if you don't, you won't really know how like it's supposed to taste. So you might riff on it and then hate it. And then I don't know, never know how good it would be. Right, exactly. And like, I've totally done that, too. And I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who are like, yeah, that's me. Um, So my suggestion would be if you are definitely interested in any of these different types of flours, uh, bread flour, whole wheat flour, instead of all purpose, even I wonder like rye flour, too. But I've made rye bread at home. It's great. Oh, okay. We'll have to talk about that. because That's my favorite kind of bread. But anyway, little bit by little bit is what I'm 
eventually getting to. Yeah, I completely agree. But going back to bread, Emily, do you, so you said you've had some experience making pizza dough, but have you had experience making bread and how did you make it? Yes. Not prior to quarantine. I hopped on that train real fast. Just like, yeah, choo choo. Here I come on the bread train. But yeah, I, uh, I've made a French loaf, not sourdough, just like regular, like white bread. Um, I've tried that a couple times again, replacing a little bit of wheat flour here and there. I've made focaccia, which was most recent, uh, baguettes and I've made soda bread which was the most interesting thing that I've made that I definitely want to talk about later Mm, yeah for me I'm like ooh, focaccia I heard that and I just think like oh man I wish I had a piece of that right now which of course here I am gonna name drop Costco but they make this pesto focaccia that is I don't know if it's new because it just happened like this past year, it was the first time Joe and I bought it when we were living in Green Bay. And I tell you what, he probably ate an entire loaf of focaccia all by himself because, you know, Costco buying in bulk, they give you two for one. You, well, it's not for one. I mean, you pay for both. <laughs> but you know what I mean. So, the of course, I'm like, one. I have like a little piece. And then I come back and I'm like, where'd half the loaf go? Well, we all know where it went. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so I had, but hold on. So I meant to say ciabatta, not focaccia. <laughs> Sorry, but I do I, have that on my list, especially after watching um, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, because she makes it like in Italy and it's all fancy. The whole thought of poking my fingers into the bread just sounds so fun. I'm like, boop, boop, and I'm Wait, back, you know what on. I mean? Hold on. So that reminds me of a story <laughs> when Christina and I were growing up. I don't know where we were, but like wherever there was a restaurant with bread, <laughs> I had a feeling this was going to come up. <laughs> I'm crying already. <laughs> so wherever there was a restaurant with bread, Christina would always like. <laughs> Essentially, so these breads were crusty. Let's be honest. Okay? There is. Yes, they were very crunchy, like almost to the point where, like, I don't know about you anybody cut else. Your mouth on them, you yeah, like I, yeah, you could totally like cut your mouth on bread, and it's ridiculous. Anyway, we we get like the bread at the table or something, and our mom is sitting there, and she likes to have everybody all proper and elbows off the table type thing. So the bread comes out, and Christina's eating it, whatever, and so she starts dipping it in her water. <laughs> <laughs> It needs to be moistened. I was like, I was like, it's gonna cut my mouth. I can't have it ruin my meal. <laughs> anyway, so that's the whole story. But then there's another story about Christina. So I don't know if everybody else is gonna think these are as funny as we do, but basically, Christina read somewhere, and I don't know if this is true or not, but the Pope dries his hands on some bread or something. What was that? Yeah, he washes his hands with lemon. <laughs> the lemon and bread or something like that. <laughs> so again, we're out to eat at some restaurant in Hawaii. This happened in Hawaii. Oh, yes. Well, now you know, never serve the Frick family uh, bread at a restaurant. Because <laughs> Christina's going to do something weird. Gave us like lemon, <laughs> lemon towels. And I was <laughs> I grabbed the lemon and I <laughs> touched it. And then I touched the bread and I was like, look on the bread. 
I swear all three of us were just like, what? <laughs> Mom was laughing because she got the joke. Right. She knows yes. about the lemon and bread. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I... uh. I've had my little run-ins with bread before, but yes. <laughs> okay, so back back to the episode. So, okay, yeah, circling back. You tell me what you've made now, bread-wise. Oh, so we we have a bread maker, and I love it. I know some people are like, oh, you make the bread from scratch, which I have to agree. Bread from scratch, so good. It's a lot of work. So we make pizza dough in our bread maker. We throw all the ingredients in, press the dough button, and it goes. And then we come an hour and 45 minutes later, and voila, we got pizza dough, Mm. and we love it. And then, yeah, we have, like, a mini one. It doesn't make a huge loaf of bread, which kind of works out for me and Joe because it's just the two of us. But then we've also made white bread in there and different types of bread. But we've also made sourdough. We got quick sour, whatever. We, we made it all, I think. I made rye bread. It's great. I got rye bread topping, whatever. But essentially making bread, all you do is you mix all of your initial ingredients together. You knead it. You proof it. You proof it again. And proof, prove, whatever, whatever term you prefer. I've seen it all. And then you bake it and you cool it. It sounds really easy, but the actual process is very complex. When it comes to like kneading your bread, uh, what happens and the reason that you have to knead your bread is that's when you start forming those gluten chains I was talking about at the beginning of the pod. And when those chains form, that's what allows you to trap that air that you need for the leavening in your bread. You can knead in a couple of different ways. I prefer using my mixer. Of course, um, most bakers, I think, will prefer to use their hands, depending on how big of a bakery they have. But um, I I don't know. I'm a mixer all the way. What about you, Emily? Well, first of all, I didn't know that bread makers made the bread from like the dough part. I, I think I just thought that you had to make the dough anyway, and then you threw the dough in there, and it just did some magic bread baking things. Yeah, no, it's, it's like this little thing that you can twist or twist out. It kind of like a cake pan, but like in a loaf shape. Mm-hmm. And then in the bottom, it has this little paddle attachment that kind of slaps the bread around <laughs> in a circle. Hey, you, you get <laughs> over like, here. Flop, 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 flop. And I sometimes I forget I put the bread in and I'll be sitting on the couch with Joe and I'm like, there's something weird. Do you hear that noise? Do you hear that noise? <laughs> and it's just like plop, 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 plop. And I'm like, what is that? And he's like, it's your bread. Remember you put the bread in the bread maker? And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I said, what uh... are the dogs doing? <laughs> Um, but I, okay, well, that's bread makers. You asked me something else about kneading. Oh, do I oh, prefer? Yeah. Um, I prefer kneading on my very small counter. I just feel like I have more control over it. Maybe I haven't really. Yeah. yeah so it's interesting that you mix by hand because you said that uh, you have more control, which I would say absolutely. And one of the big things that I really like from doing research, I've noticed that people are always concerned about over or under kneading their dough. And it's kind of hard to over knead your dough when you're doing it by hand, which is why a lot of people caution against using those hand mixers. You kind of will know if you over kneaded it, if the dough tears really easy and um, you just can't really break it apart. It's just so stuck together that the structure is almost too firm. 
you know? And so underneading is the complete opposite. It, it kind of just keeps falling apart, like keeps falling down, falling flat. Um, you can bake it and it doesn't really rise because it does it can't hold any of the air or the CO2 that's produced by the yeast. So you can... If that can happen if you use all-purpose flour in a recipe that calls for bread flour. So that's one of those times where uh, you asked about the flour. That's really likely probably important. So if your bread's a little flatter, it could be because of that. Okay, yeah, that's interesting because I would have thought that flatter meant not enough yeast farts. Yeah, and I think that that's the whole thing about bread baking being so complex, right? Because you also can make what's called a no-need bread. And that's where mm. you get into the proofing, right? Because proofing is basically allows your bread to rise and it's part of the fermentation step. But really what happens is it's like micro kneading. So the yeast produce gas and the gas kind of moves everything around, right? So it's like mm. micro kneading your bread. And that's why when you do no knead bread, it has to sit for such a long time because you're not sitting there making, helping the um, gluten form by moving the bread around. You're just allowing the yeast to do the work with its enzymes and basically make the magic happen. That's when the magic happens. <laughs> exactly. But... My favorite part, of course, of bread making is the fermentation part. So <laughs> that happens anytime you use yeast, right? So these are only like yeasted doughs. Well, I mean, it also would happen with sourdough, right? Because in sourdough, they, of course, have my favorite type of bacteria in there, which is naturally occurring in flowers, lactic acid bacteria. So... <laughs> So what those produce is those uh, lactic acid as well as acetic acid in the fermentation process, the yeast and the um, lactic acid all combine, and that kind of produces your sourdough bread. The acetic acid adds that sour flavor that you want and is ideal in the sourdough bread. But fermentation in general for breads is typically with the yeast, um, and those yeasts will go and go and go um, as long as you provide them with the food and the right pH, right? Because again, or they produce alcohol too, which will stop and kind of hinder their growth. Okay. Let's unpack that a little bit. Fermentation happens anytime that there's yeast, including, but not limited to sourdough, right? In bread making. Yes. In bread making. And that what makes it sour is the lactic and acetic acid that you talked about, but that is not there in other types of bread or there, there is bacteria, but it's not those types. Right. So when you make sourdough, um, you use what's called a sourdough starter. And what that is, is basically a old nasty flour thing you leave on your counter for a really long time and you have to feed it like a monster right the so flour like, monster it's a flour monster and it grows and then you cut its head off and then you grow it some more just so, like in hercules when they chopped off the monster's I head guess. and then the three yeah. came back <laughs> yeah so basically that's kind of what happens here you're um, feeding your yeast and your bacteria um, when you make your sourdough starter. So these are like the naturally occurring ones. Typically, um, 
you take half a cup of it out and then you put more in there. And what that does is it provides more nutrients and allows for more acid to form and the enzymes to continue to work that are there break down and provide more flavor in your bread product, which is really cool. So we were talking about uh, proving and then kind of like fermentation, kind of both of them at the, at the same time. Are they related? If so, like how? Fermentation is kind of what causes that proving or proofing step. You're kind of starting the first rise of your dough. So, of course, there's some doughs that call for a second rise, which I found in a couple of baking uh, blogs that uh, the second rise is pretty common. And the reason being is that when you pat down uh, your bread, you're getting your yeast closer to more nutrients, right? So then it's allowed to keep going through the process, keep using its enzymes, keep producing more air and um, kind of allows the bread to have additional flavor, but also better structure. Because again, when you're proofing the bread, what you're doing is you're micro kneading the bread as well. So you're forming the gluten, but around those air structures that the yeast have kind of already basically inserted into the bread for you, which is really cool. You don't have to do it yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to yeast. So what about that first step with yeast where you have to combine it with the water? Is that so you, isn't it like you have to wake the yeast up or something and it makes like the water all foamy? Is yeah, um, so that's kind of also happens with any like bacteria you would use for yogurt too. You have to hydrate them and give them nutrients, right? Not all bread recipes call for you to hydrate your yeast separately. But for me, I'm like, well, when I make it in the bread maker, What it asked me to do is layer everything, right? So I put the water in there Mm. and then I put the flour in, which allows the flour to hydrate and start creating those gluten bonds. And then I put the yeast in and the yeast kind of moves around and does all that. So I would say when I make some quicker rising breads, it's a little bit better for me to hydrate the yeast first and put it in that warm temperature environment. So I think it's more so that it has to have the moisture and the warmer temperature to have them at the right temperature to start producing the gas. Um, As you know, a lot of microbes like yeast and molds and bacteria, they have their preferred environment. So that's why um, a lot of bread makers will put their bread in the fridge. And what that does is it favors the bacteria. So like in your sourdough breads, they'll start producing a little bit more acid as opposed to basically rising. Um, And that favors the bacteria over the yeast. And so you can get some more acid, sour flavor versus the leavening and you could always take it out and start that leavening process over again okay yeah I think that makes sense so with the multiple proofs that are pretty like fairly common in bread making can I just like prove my dough forever or um, is there like a certain point where things will stop being beneficial to my bread (laughs) Yeah, no, that's actually a a big debate, right? Because some people have those one rise breads and there's the two and Mm -hmm, then people are like, mm -hmm. well, if two is better, why not do three? (laughs) Why not do four? It turns into like a survival of the fittest. (laughs) Once all your food resources run out, 
then what? Right. You kind of stop your growing. You stop all that. So like the third one, you're just basically adding time and your yeast will start to kind of pitter out. And that's because number one, there's only so much substrate for them to kind of start forming that um, CO2. Right. So they only have so much food available. Mm -hmm. And once the food runs out, what are they going to do? They die. No more farts. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, what you really want to do is um, a lot of recipes call for that second rise, which is where they found is like the sweet spot without wasting too much time to make your breads. For me, I've always just basically followed the recipe for bread because it is so complex. I'm like, well, if I mess it up, it's got to be something in this little section that I tried. At one point, too, if you do over uh, prove your bread, you can have too much alcohol and you can get like an alcohol flavor, kind of like with wine, yeast mm. form alcohol. So and that stops them from growing as well. And that's what kind of halts your wine production. So we've got our dough. We've we've talked a lot about dough making and that kind of process and what's in the dough. Uh, what about baking? Uh, I think a big part of baking is getting that crusty crust on your crusty breads. Crusty, crusty, crust. So, what makes a what makes the crispy crust? The crispy crust. So, if you had a chance to listen to our brownie episode, you'll kind of hear a little bit about crust there. But essentially, what happens when the bread forms a crust is it's exposed to the dry environment in your oven. So, it starts to uh, it's kind of like a reaction between the hot air. Um, in your oven and the um, outside of the dough. So you'll get some browning, some caramelization that happens there. Um, and then this crust forms, which is really cool. So a lot of times breads are baked in a really hot oven. So it allows the crust to form quickly. Um, and then that holds some of the moisture inside your dough which is really great because that's what leads you to have that moist inside that a lot of people really like. Yeah, I think when people um, make the crusts with the really pretty designs and that kind of thing and like those French Mm -hmm. bakeries, that's really cool. I learned that the knife that they normally use, I hope I get this right, is called a lame, literally L-A-M-E. I I believe that's what it was for, Mm -hmm. but I did a lot of research and everything is blending together, but it makes these really cool designs. Anyway, uh, if you have any cool designs that you've made, I would love to see them. So um, send us an email. Most of the time when I try cutting bread, it just kind of looks like a waffle. I'm like, ooh, let's (laughs) do some cuts across and some cuts aside. And then it just kind of looks like a waffle in the end. I've tried the one where you have your loaf of bread and you make the like single cut on the one side and it kind mm-hmm. of like opens up a little bit. But I did some research there today and I saw that cutting the dough weakens the gluten structure and that's kind of like where it opens from. I thought that was really, really cool. What's interesting to me is that there's also this extra step that some of the fancy bakeries have where they can steam their dough and oh, create yes. this steam humid environment. Yeah, so they like create this humid environment in their oven, which unfortunately, everybody, we really got to jump through some hoops to do at home. But um, and that allows for the bread, like the outside of the bread to stay nice and moist. So like when you stick it in the oven and the yeast get real excited and all everything starts to grow. And like (laughs) if you listen to our brownie episode, I know I dropped it again. But like if you did, um, 
obviously the air rises and expands, which allows your bread to kind of grow, right? So um, the heat allows it to rise and then you're going to see all of this happening. But if your bread has this really, really firm structure, nothing's going to happen. It's just going to kind of sit there and it's going to be like, ugh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Great. It's going to be like, what? Oh, I can't move anywhere. Yeah. So I'm stuck. It can't <laughs> stuck. It said I'll just fart out the bottom. Actually, I don't really know what happens. But yeah, but it's not going like, to rise the same way. But there's a couple of ways that people have like tried to overcome this dry, like early dry out in the process. Since, of course, home cooks don't have the lovely luxury of having steam injection. So, um, my favorite one, of course, that I personally have tried is the Dutch oven recipe. But first, let me talk about the one that everybody has tried, which is spraying your dough your dough with water. Which, first of all, uh, this was the first one I tried. And I put my bread in the oven. And I tell you what, nothing happened. It came out like a rock. <laughs> I was like, this sucks. Like, why did I even try breaking or baking bread if it's going to just be a flat rock? Like, nothing happened. Anyway, I read about it later and found out that it's like oh, well, you can do this, but if you don't really have water in there, nothing's going to happen. So then from there, um, I read that you could also like pour water, like boiling water into a pan under your bread. I don't know what it's called. I just saw somebody do it with like basically steam shooting out of their oven. And I was like, that looks dangerous. Yeah. And then there's like, I was reading uh king arthur's website a little bit about this because afterwards i was like this can't be real so uh, (laughs) (laughs) they have a whole class on it apparently where it's a tiktok challenge oh my gosh i'm like i don't know but anyway my favorite method is you stick it in your dutch oven so those are those cast iron pots that a lot of people have been showing their sourdough baking in and what that does is it allows like the bread to keep its moisture in this really enclosed space so that's what's allowing it to continue to like rise in this process that you don't get unless you have some of this steam injection or the moisture in your oven and then of course you always finish your bread off in a dry oven to get that crust right because you need the dryness to dry out the outside to get the crust that you're looking for so when you cut into your beautiful baked bread you get that crunchy sound and then when you bite it it's delicious but and it doesn't attack your mouth exactly you want it crusty you want it crispy crusty but not like crusty crusty sometimes a good crusty crusty is good when you stick it in french onion soup you know moisten it like i like in a cup of water (laughs) (laughs) so then you obviously like last step the worst step that nobody ever wants to do is you have to cool your bread yeah, because everybody wants fresh baked, fresh baked bread. Say that three times fast. Fresh baked bread. Fre- I can't even say it once. Fresh baked bread. Fresh break. Fresh break. Break bread. Fresh baked. Nope. Anyway, um, back to that. Yeah. Cooling, cooling bread. Yeah, everybody wants their bread like super hot out of the oven, but mm-hmm. melt some butter on that. Oh, I know. Joe never can wait, but it's okay because, like I said, our bread maker is so small it doesn't matter. But. <laughs> you just make another loaf but the important part about cooling your bed is like the starch retrogradation that occurs so what that means is like your moisture starts to move from the starches in the bread like kind of outward through the loaf and it makes a lot of sense so like moisture is kind of stored and 
the middle of your bread and as you dry out the outside um, during the baking process, you have basically a different stratification in your bread of moisture levels, right? And then it's kind of like resting your steak, right? You allow it to kind of sit and get to equilibrium with the moisture levels. It'll start to migrate out towards the outside of the bread, which is the driest. And then when you cut it, it depends on what type of bread you made and how long you should let it rest, but you should let it get to room temperature. And then when you cut it, it's properly moist throughout. And that also kind of helps with the dryness of the bread throughout the time that you have it. I don't know if you've experienced this because every single time I bake bread, I can't wait. I'm going to be honest. Like, I know you should, but I won't do it. You cut it and then all the steam escapes. Well, there goes all your moisture from your bread that you want to keep in there to keep it moist throughout like a couple of days. So just keep that in mind. I mean, do whatever you want. You do you. But like, just so you know, if you keep it there and let it cool, makes it better in the long term. Yeah, that's good to know. I think uh, like I basically eat half the loaf over two days and then I cut it cut the rest and put it in the freezer because if you don't know freezing bread is like a really good way to conserve it so the only thing is that you'll have to like toast it when it when it comes back right so same thing with i've heard croissants mom said that she uh from your favorite place costco when she gets costco croissants, she's been freezing them like right away of you know whatever they don't eat in the first with day 500 and- layers of <laughs> saran press and seal or whatever the heck it is <laughs> Yeah, maybe not that way. Well, when I, so I reuse the same kind of like plastic bags because I I do make bread and pizza dough quite often. And um, although I'm not a huge fan of like buying plastic bags and stuff, uh, I do have a few of them kind of just in my freezer that I will reuse to freeze things. So um, that's kind of one of my tips if you are, you know, if you don't have a huge family or if you don't eat a ton of bread every day um, and you'll have some but not enough to like eat it before it goes stale, then definitely try and use your freezer and you just have, will have to toast it, right? So if you make a sandwich, it'll be just a toasted sandwich. Or if you make a peanut butter toast, then you were already going to toast it anyway. Yeah. I mean, Joe and I, obviously, like, it's just the two of us. But again, we bulk buy. So we get the fresh country bread or the Parmesan rosemary bread from Costco. (laughs) Oh, so good. Yeah, we slice it and then we put it directly in the freezer afterwards because obviously breaking, like, trying to slice a frozen bread loaf is kind of difficult. But yeah. Um, And then we'll just take it out individually and toast it up. And it, it is awesome. So you know how mom used to send us to school with sandwiches and we never had the crust cut off of our sandwiches. Honestly, like mom bought the Pepperidge Farm stuff usually, which was like a soft crust anyway. But there were definitely people who don't like the crust and who will never. Uncrustables? Yes. The uncrusties of the world. So, but someone told me, I think it was like dad or somebody was like, well, if you eat the crust, your hair will like get Girl, curly or something. That's mom's thing that pop-up you tell her. I've de- I've heard like that. I've heard like you'll get stronger bones, even though that's like that's, that's the common like is there anything obviously those aren't true, but is there anything like that actually does change as far as like a nutritional panel or anything like that? Yeah, that's a good question. In my research of bread crust and like, oh, how do you make the 
the bread not so crusty or not so dry on the outside. I found this article that had talked about these German researchers who found that there are eight times more antioxidants in the crust of the bread than there are like throughout the middle of the bread. So I would say eat that crusty bread, even if you have to dip it in water to make it good. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, use some lemons and then dry it off. At least then you used it. (laughs) Yeah, they say a lot of people don't really prefer to eat the crust of the bread. For me, I'm like, if I can put some extra moisture on it, I'm good. But like, please don't cut my mouth. That's like me and hot chocolate. I love hot chocolate, but whenever we used to go to those IMAX movie theater things, and okay, everyone, we grew up in Florida. Cold for us is like, what, 40 degrees? Maybe like 50 degrees? 50, let's be honest. Yeah, so uh, we would go to like these IMAX movies or whatever down in the wintertime, and oh, they had the best hot chocolate there at the IMAX theaters, but then like it was always so hot. It would be like an hour later, and it was still like too hot to drink. So of course, Christina and I would always get the hot chocolates, and then like the whole family would just like burn our mouths off trying Mm. to drink this hot chocolate. Yeah, but you were talking, so uh, you said you made soda bread for the episode. So I kind of want to hear a little bit more about that because you sent me a picture and it looked freaking awesome. Yeah. So you can also see that photo on our Instagram at are they drunk in there? I'm going to post it, but oh my goodness. So, okay. uh, Living in a big city during a quarantine or, and or like slash pandemic has been a very interesting experience. It kind of reminded me of when a hurricane comes in Florida and like, or even like a snowstorm out in the Northeast, someone says like, oh, this is coming. And then all of a sudden, like everything is gone in the grocery stores and the aisles are clear and you feel like it's a zombie apocalypse is coming. I, um, I wanted to jump on the bread train bandwagon. Yeah, there you go. The train bandwagon. Anyway. So, um, but my problem was that I didn't have any, any yeast. So I kind of was looking for recipes, but I kind of just gave up. And then I was watching Nadia's Time to Eat. It's all about how to cook and like make these good home cooked meals, uh, whether it's like everything from dessert to um, dinner, uh, little snacks and things when you're on a time crunch. Right. And like I'm just lazy. So not only am I sometimes on a time crunch, but really like I don't want to spend five hours in the kitchen doing stuff. Mm -hmm. So anyway. Um, But she makes a soda bread that I will link that on the website because it is so good. But you were asking about like what it is, right? So this is my whole story about (laughs) here's my whole preamble about soda bread and how I discovered it. Love it. Love it. Keep going. Uh, But yeah, so soda bread is basically instead of the yeast reacting with uh, kind of what Christina was talking about earlier, soda bread... um, is where you use um, baking soda as kind of like the leavening agent instead. Um, And that reacts with usually buttermilk in the bread and that kind of makes it a leavener instead. So it's a little bit denser than a regular like yeasted bread when you think of like French bread or anything like that or like white bread, like sandwich bread. But her recipe specifically is so good. I've made a couple others as well that are also good. Yeah. Well, I'm going to bring us back to like elementary school a little bit. Uh. So like... So I don't know how many people, probably everybody has done the volcano experiment, right? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, put your baking soda in there and then you put in some food coloring and mm-hmm. then you throw in your vinegar and it explodes. So that's kind of what's happening in your bread, only on a much smaller scale. 
anyway, yeah. So um, essentially what's happening is your base, which is that baking soda in your bread, is reacting with the acid. So that's probably lactic acid when it comes to buttermilk, which we all know is my favorite. And <laughs> the thing that you have a favorite acid. Oh, I know. What's your I favorite acid? It. It's the whole dairy thing. Anyway, back to what we were talking about. So you take your base, which is your baking soda, and you throw in your buttermilk, which is your acid, and then you're going to have an acid-base reaction. So let's all circle back to that chemistry class from fifth grade, and your volcano exploded. All that gas that happens, yep, that's happening inside your soda bread, and that's what's giving it that aeration. So that's why they say don't let it sit for too long, because if you pat that down, it's just going to flatten back out. So that's a good point, though, and that uh, the buttermilk is causing it. You're 100% correct right there. I have made this specific recipe with using almond milk and lemon juice as um, as my quote unquote buttermilk. So that's a good substitute if you're um, vegan and looking to make the bread. Yeah, that's a good point. Also, for those of you who are dairy lovers and have milk in your fridge, you can also just use milk and lemon juice. It has a different flavor, but you can absolutely use the milk in your fridge and add some lemon juice or some people actually use white vinegar. Yeah, so if you want fart-free bread, you should make yourself some soda bread. It's also, it's really easy. It takes, like, fart-free bread. Anyway, all right, we need to, wow, okay. But, yeah, so that is my favorite soda bread. Um, If you also have a favorite, uh, definitely send it to me via either, I mean, hey, if you want to send it, anything to us via our Instagram, we're there, too. But you know the normal email, um, arethedrunkinthere at gmail.com. Yeah, and if you... um. If you have any recipes or suggestions, uh, Emily and I would be happy to try them. But also, even if you have any comments on the episode and you want to let us know, we're always happy to learn more. So if you're a baking expert or a baker yourself, like, and you've had a bunch of experience, we want to hear about it because who knows, maybe we'll do bread 2 or 3.0 and you'll be featured on the podcast. One more thing before we, before we hop off, Em, I want to talk a little bit about, like, toppings because I absolutely love a good bread topping and I buy all of my bread toppings from King Arthur flour and it's because I feel like they have such a variety they have like a uh, some pizza flavor they have an everything flavor they have a there's this one that we got that I can't remember the name of off the top of my head but it has like a couple of spices in it that make it like kind of smoky and then there's uh some seeds in it that I really like that I kind of mix in with my rye bread and I just feel like if you if you want to add a little extra flavor to your bread getting a couple of seasonings or herbs or anything like that makes a huge difference so that's an interesting thing that you brought up actually because soda bread I think like the toppings are fine but um with yeasted breads I haven't seen like toppings mixed in as much um do you know if there's like a a reason for that or anything what happens when a yeasted bread has like things mixed in it is that yeah i think no it's a good question because so i've had success in in mixing in some of my toppings with yeasted breads but i have to be honest so again like when you make bread you have to make sure that your moisture content is right so if you're going to be adding a large amount of an additional ingredient that is dry make sure that you're also adding a little bit more moisture 
that won't take away from the uh, totality of the moisture of the actual flour in your bread. Like I had mentioned kind of before when we were talking, like when I use my bread machine, which is a lot of times where I've done the addition like within the bread, um, there's like a setting where it's like, it'll just beep at you and it'll be like beep, 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 beep. And it's like add ingredients now. And you have like five seconds to like hurry up and throw something (laughs) in there. And so like I've thrown in like dried herbs, so like basil Mm -hmm. and stuff, but I'm sure you can definitely throw in like garlic. I think the typical ingredients that you would add in bread probably won't be enough to cause any issues with your yeast when they have so much flour to kind of grow on. Just be careful when you're adding some of your acidic ingredients because again, your yeast wants to have a specific environment to grow in. After your bread's allowed to hydrate, there's like a kind of mixing kneading step that you can add any type of ingredient to. And if you have a bread maker, just when it beeps at you, you could just throw (laughs) random crap in there, which is what I've done in the past. So just try it. What's going to (laughs) happen? But yeah, anyway, so um, I think that's everything. Yeah. For today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to talk about that because I've. I love adding extras to my bread. That's all. Most of the time we extra. Like a, yeah, we do. Oh, I meant we are. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. We had so much fun. I hope you guys enjoyed and I hope you learned a little bit, but also I hope it inspires you to bake some bread at home. So thanks for listening. Um, again, uh, that's Emily. That's Christina. And we are our they drunk in there if you want to see any recipes like emily talked about her great soda bread which you can see on instagram but also you can look at on our website at are they drunk in there all right bye bye have a good night or day